This is going to be a transition message, and I, and I, and because next week we start something that is going to be a watershed time for our church, and what I believe is it'd be a watershed time for the church in general. But let me revisit what I've been preaching for, I don't know, six or eight weeks now. And, and at the end of this, I'm going to do what, what we do sometimes here. We just kind of have, anybody got any questions uh, about the direction we're going, about how we describe the character of God? Because we don't want to leave anybody behind. That's, that's our goal. We're family here. We don't want to leave anybody behind. And so we want to answer your questions. But let me tell you how I started this year. I started by making the assertion that God wants this to be the very best year of your life. Very best year you've ever lived. Now, some of you are already saying, well, he, that's going to take some doing. Because I am behind the eight ball right now, I got to tell you. That's all right. That's all right. I say that not because you're in any particular circumstance, but because I know the nature of God. He's one that can bring good out of evil. He can, he's one that can make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I believe, and I want you to believe, that this will be the very best year you've ever lived, the beginning of the very best season you've ever had in your life, not according to your circumstances. Your life is much more significant, much more powerful than your circumstances. But because you have found something you have never had before. Now let me, let me just step into this. If God's going to give you the best year of your life, you're going to have to live a different year than you've ever lived. If you just keep living the same year, you're going to have the same year. What's the difference this year? The difference is that we immerse ourselves in the nature of God. We immerse ourselves in the nature of God. And as we do that, we begin to take on his nature. And we begin to take on his purposes. And we begin to take on his power. And we begin to be used by him as we have never been used before. Now let me tell you the nature of God. We've been saying this and we'll keep saying this. Till, everybody, till you all can repeat it to someone else. The nature of God starts out with identity. Ivan's up here for the reason for a reason, by the way. He's gonna he's gonna take the he's gonna be the MC. But just be patient with me. We start out with the identity of God, the great I am. And this is the way you start to immerse yourself in the nature of God. You switch your identity for his. Remember how Paul put it? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My identity is Christ. That's who I am. All right? So you start out every day, Jesus, you and me, because I'm you and I know you're in me. And that's how we're going to face this day. That's how we're going to face this event. And then we don't get very far down the line before we realize I can't do this by myself because I keep forgetting, get distracted, get off track. I need an us. And that's, that's, that fits in with the nature of God because God is in us. He's singular yet plural. Elohim is a plural word used in a singular sense. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is a relationship. He made us for relationships because he made us in his image. And so all of us need a spiritual family. 
that will draw out of us the greatness that we don't ourselves see, that will sustain us through the difficult times of life, that will encourage us. All of us need that spiritual family, AKA the church. But in order to do that, we've got to realize this. Now watch. We've got to realize not only does the church have to be reformed, but the church has to be repurposed because we kind of get drawn into just, well, I just want to have an us. No, the reason us is still here is for them. For them. Because God loves them as much as he loves us. That's why you're still here. After you accept Christ. If you, if you just said that, that prayer uh, uh, that, that Vernon just said with, with, with you, then, then as soon as you said that, if you, it was all about you going to heaven, you, it, God had killed you on the spot. Because you might as well get there. But we're still down here because he wants to include others in the family. Love always includes others. Love is always about the other. And God is love. And so if we're going to follow and be immersed in his nature, we're always going to care about others, even at the cost to ourselves. That's what Jesus did. That's who we are. And where do we do it? There. You know, God didn't wait for us to come to, to him. He came to us. He took on flesh and came into our world before we were ever ready for him. He was a part of our world, loving us just like we are, although he loved us too much to leave us like we are. And so we got to do that. If you're waiting for a whole, the whole everybody to come in here you know, to, to join the family, forget about it. No, the church needs to be where hell is. You know where hell is? Out there. We don't allow hell in here. But there's plenty of hell out there. And you, some of you are going through hell out there. And some of you know people who are going through hell out there. And if the goal of the church is to bust up the powers of hell, the church has to be formed out there. And so we go in the relationships and we build the church where, where those relationships are. Because that was Christ's vision, the church was Christ's vision. The basic building blocks are disciples, those who actually follow him, don't just name him, don't just believe in him intellectually. Demons believe in him intellectually. Demons know who he is, they're still demons. No, we immerse ourselves, we trust Christ, we conform ourselves to Christ. And then when two or three of us get together out there, there's the church. And that will change, watch this, not only the world, that'll change your life. That'll change your life. It is the most personal and pervasive form of the church and it will change everything. So that's where we're going. But before we go there, I just wanna make sure, anybody got any questions? Uh, if, you're, if you're online, you can, you can write Ask a Pastor um, at northernchurch.net. Um, and, and if you're in the room, we've got people with microphones. You know how this, you know the routine here. We, we, by the way, we do discipleship by, by discussion, not by lecture. Lecture really doesn't change anybody's life. You know, it's discussions. How do I apply this in my life? So let's focus on, have you got any questions about what we've said about our vision or where we're going or about the nature of God? If you've got personal questions, we'll answer them later. You can do that with askapastor.net, and I'll be glad to respond to those. But Ivan's going to be our, our moderator. And so, uh, Ivan?
Do it. Do your deal. Yes, sir. Looks like we've already got a question. Folks, feel free to raise your hand and somebody with a mic will come to you. Folks online, ask a pastor at northernchurch.net. We're going to start off with Maribel's mic. This is interesting because I've been thinking about, a lot about this. And Good. Tell us your name. We, this is, this Terry. Is, Terry? Terry. Terry. Okay. Thanks, Terry. So I've been thinking a lot about this, and yet we kind of gave up on this, so I haven't taken the time to ask a pastor. But I did a study on the end of times. And when I'm talking to people and they act like, okay, well, this, you know, this is terrible, this is terrible, there's a part of me that says, this is just what's supposed to happen. Does that make sense? And yet I'd still want to say, but just because this is all supposed to be happening doesn't mean we can't do this. How do you address that? You know, there's a part of the Bible that says, when the Lord does come back, will he find faith? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there, there's, there are several times in, in Gospels when it talks about the master coming back. Will he find his children at work doing what they're supposed to be doing? So it doesn't matter whether the end times are a thousand years from now or tomorrow. When he comes back, we ought to be doing what we're doing. We ought to be loving people, introducing them to Jesus, doing our families the best we can do them. And that usually takes some sort of support system because we can't do it by ourselves. We get too discouraged. And so that's why we want to form these groups to help each other grow in Christ and in our effectiveness in this world no matter when he comes back. Good question, Terry. Thank you for asking that. Lori, we have one down here. We'll go to Lori's mic next. Um, David, going back to your prayer about what's going on over there, I need help on how to feel because they're screaming war, they're screaming love. What do you do? How, how, I mean, I don't want to see war, but I don't want to see any more of this stuff going on. Yeah. What? Great question, David. Here we, here we go with, with, in Scripture... There are two powers. Both of them are ministers of God. It says in Romans 13 that a minister of God is our government. And the government has the power of self-defense. That is, physical defense. Um, and, 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 And so we rely on our government and the armies that we have, the armed forces we have, to defend the innocent as well as they can and certainly to defend our country. That is ordained of God. But that's not the church's job. The church's job is the unarmed forces, which is even more powerful because we're the ones that are going to change the world, watch this, by the way we have loved and by a non-typical response. You see, for anything to change, the narrative of conflict, you know, if, if somebody's different than you, you've got to beat them up or you've got to conquer them or you got to take control over them, all that kind of stuff. That wasn't Jesus' narrative. Jesus said, now you got to serve them until they want to know what you got that they don't. And that's, and that's our goal. So both of those voices are right, but unless you're in the military, then you don't um, um, concentrate on physical force. You concentrate on spiritual force because our enemies are not flesh and blood. 
but the principalities and powers. And that's the way we address what we're about. And you'll hear more about that as we go along. Good question, David. Thank you. We're going to take our next question over here in the riser uh, from Joe's mic. How are you doing, Pastor Joe? My name is Evan. Hey, Evan. And um, this question kind of goes along with your last question. Um, when it comes to, to, to being a Christian, the Old Testament was more an eye to an eye. The New Testament, when Jesus came, it's more of love. I have a question about where do I draw the line? Where do Christians draw the line between loving everyone and sacrificing and serving others, but also not letting people kind of take advantage of you, yeah. run all over you? You know, where do you draw the line? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and, and, and let me give you a fairly simple answer. This, this applies both, both to personal boundaries and to national boundaries. You don't let someone come in and beat you up because that's not good for you and it's not good for them. It doesn't, it doesn't do them any good to exercise that kind of power. And so there is whatever it takes to prevent that from happening, that is the right thing to do. But when it comes to the power we have, then we are, have the power of service and love, which is much more powerful in the long run. Much more powerful in the long run. I mean, think of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. How did things really change in this, in this when it came to race and, and, and it came to equality? You know, if he had taken up arms, um, um, this would have been a way different story, but he didn't. He just said, we do what's right. And, and we're not going to take up arms. We're, we're going to do what we need to do to be respected, but to love and to serve. And, and he won the day. So our way takes a little bit longer, but, but it goes deeper. And we're not interested in just solving a problem. We're interested in changing lives. That's why we're still here. We're not here to solve problems. We're here to change lives. And so it's a good question. Do we have one last question tonight? Looks like we have our last question okay. uh, from Ellen's mic. And folks, just a reminder, if you have a question that you didn't get to ask or you think of one throughout the week, send it in, askapastor at northernchurch.net, my email, and we'll go to Ellen's mic to end it. Hi, I'm Bev, and my question is, for people in our lives that grew up in the church, used to believe in God, and for some reason now they don't, what is the best approach um, to trying to resolve that? I would guess that there was some change, sure. negative thing that happened to them, but sure. I don't know. So how do you approach this? Well, absolutely. The, 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 first of all, you can't argue anybody back into the kingdom, all right? Um, um, but here's what, here's what changes, when, what would change your heart? What would change your heart? It's seeing something that you'd rather live than the life you've got now. The best apologetic, apologetic isn't the, uh, uh, apologetic in theology is the rational defense and explanation of the faith. 
The best defense and, and explanation of the faith is a life lived for Jesus Christ among others who care for each other and love each other and encourage one another so that they can see something they would rather have than the life they're living. And if, they, if they're, most people who don't believe in God are pretty angry about something because they've been hurt, they've been disappointed, and maybe that was by, by the hand of a Christian. You know, we are not guiltless in these things. We hurt a lot of people unintentionally. But if the church can be formed in such a way that people say honestly to, to themselves, you know, I'd like to be a part of a community like that. And I know that only, only Christ can form a community that will stay together literally forever and sacrifice themselves to care for one another and to care for people, watch this, this is really, care for people they don't even like. Care for people who are not like them. But because Jesus did it, that's what we're going to do. That's powerful stuff. So that's the best way. Just live a life they'd rather have than the one they got. All right? Okay. Well, look at that. I haven't disappeared. This is a... All right. Let me tell you where we're going. First of all, let me... Before we even go there, I, here's... I want, to, I want to show you that what we're talking about tonight is not something that's just a far-off vision. It's something that's happening right now within our congregation. I know many of you online are already doing this, but I want those just in this room. If you are a part of a nine-week feast, if you're a part of a distributed church, if you're a part of a group that, that's starting to kind of look like the church, uh, kind of look like they're in you know, the church in formation, and you're kind of saying, wonder, I wonder if you're going to build one of those distributed churches in this group. Let me just ask you to do something. Would you just stand right where you are? We want, we want people to see that this is not a pipe dream. It's actually happening. You just stand right where you are. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Good. This is, these are people who are already involved. These are people who are already involved. And so thank you for what you're doing. You're, you're the pioneers. Now, let me, let me tell you kind of where we're going. Let me, let me tell you in a, in a kind of a, you know, an intuitive way. We are about to change the way the church does things. For 17 centuries, the church has been institutionalized. First three centuries, what I'm about to describe is exactly the way the church lived. Uh, it lived by making relationships into the church wherever they were. But in the fourth century, the, uh, um, the emperor became a Christian and everybody flocked to the church. And so we built up buildings and clergy and all these barriers, you know, and, and we became insular. And for 17 centuries, we've been an institution. Now, that institution has done a lot of good. We've, we've, we've built um, orphanages. We've built hospitals. We've, we've, we've told people about Jesus. We've done a lot of good. This is nothing to disrespect what God has done for 17 centuries. But going into the future, we need a different form of church. Because, well, I'll tell you as we go along. But you've already heard the form that we have right now will not be very effective in the future. So this is big stuff we're talking about. And, and, and I want to, let me, let me get at this like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the chairman of our elders, I point over here because he usually sits over here when he's in service, is from Ghana, Africa. And he, he usually 
um, um, when we're in a conversation, an elders are in a conversation, every once in a while he'll come up with an African proverb. That makes all kinds of sense. And so I, I want to I tell you tonight's sermon in African proverbs, okay? First of all, if you're going to make a significant change in your life, if we're going to make a significant change in the world, if we're going to make a significant change in the church, we got to go big. We got to go big. We can't just take little bait, you know, the Africa, there's an African proverb, if you put out a goat as bait, you're not hoping to hunt rabbits. If you put out a goat as bait, you're not hoping to hunt rabbits. I know there are many people who say, you know, church is part of my life. I'm cool with church, you know? Well, the church has been successful, but nothing fails like success because we get content and we don't want anything bigger and better. And pretty soon the church doesn't fulfill us and it doesn't fulfill the needs of the world. So, so what are we gonna do? We gotta make big changes. Big ch get out of rabbit land. Got to make big changes because the church as it is formed right now will not be effective in the coming generations. You understand, you understand, don't you? People of these kids' generations right here have absolutely no loyalty to institutions. It's like, does it work or doesn't it? They believe in God. They want a relationship with God. But try talking to them about, well, you go to church because it's church. And most of, the, most of the kids in that generation go, well, whatever, you know, they don't care. And so we've got to have a, a relational, a relational form of church that engages them and that says, this is how you have a relationship with God. And this is how he works in your life. We, we don't realize how ineffective the church is until it's too late. It's being marginalized right now. And, 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 no, and nobody seems to notice because they still got their church that they can go to. Another African proverb. The toad does not understand the importance of water until the pond goes dry. The toad does not understand the importance of water until the pond goes dry. There will come a day when you will say about the church, you know, this isn't working in my life anymore. It, it did at one time. Right now, there are thousands of people who have been officers in the church, who have been volunteered hours in the church. And all of a sudden, they come and they go, yeah, not so much. This isn't working in my life anymore. The same thing is true of, 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 uh, of, of the church in society. Huge denominations used to have huge respect. They're sinking like a stone. You know, all of these power brokers are not powerful anymore, but you don't realize it until the pound dries up and you don't understand, you know, the church has to be built in a way that doesn't resemble the world, that isn't prone to the powers of this world. That's kind of out, out of kilter. Right now, the church is an institution. We think we know how it ought to go. I heard a story once about an art collector who, who got this painting of the, of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It was a beautiful painting. Leaning Tower of Pisa. And he, and he loved it. And he hung it over his desk in his office. And every day when he came in, he'd look at the picture and the picture was crooked. 
And so he'd straighten it out. He'd come in the next morning. Picture was crooked. Straighten it out. Well, he finally asked the housekeeper, he said, are you tilting that picture? She said, absolutely. I've got to every night because you got to tilt it so the building's straight. She didn't understand. The correct view is when the building's out of kilter. We've got to build a church that's different than the culture, that doesn't have the same values as the culture, that is, that is oriented toward heaven instead of oriented toward earth. That's what Jesus was talking about. Now, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me take you through a few scriptures, and this is our future. So I want you to understand these scriptures. Real simple, not easy, but simple. First of all, before the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go out and make disciples, before you get there, a prerequisite has to be the Great Commandment. There's a step before you make other disciples or you tell others what you believe. All right? This is the step. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. When someone came up and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, let's cut to the chase here. What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, as you well know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in other versions, he said, and with all your strength. Where does the distributed church start? Will you draw a circle around your feet? And everything inside that circle is where it starts. Your relationship with God, you loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is where it starts. You know why the church has no power right now? Because we're trying to tell everybody else what to do and we're not living for God ourselves. Hypocrites are the biggest blight on the church. And so if we're focused on Christ and we're living for him and we're living life as God says instead of as we want, we'll have power. That's the beginning of the change. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And watch this. And he couldn't leave the second one off. The guy only asked for one. He couldn't leave the second one off. On these, it says, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what Jesus did? He loved all his neighbors. Even the ones who no one else loved. Even the ones who the religious people didn't love. He didn't qualify which neighbor you should love. As a matter of fact, he said, who's my neighbor? Whoever has a need. That's who your neighbor is. The church was built by loving people no one else would love. By being, you know how many times in, in, in the church that the Samaritans, Jesus shows respect to a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised in that country. And Jesus lifts them up. I'm uh, next Saturday going to a Muslim community center. And, and, and they came to me and asked me if I would participate. And we got a, a little Muslim community center in, in Longwood. And, and, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, 
They said, we're trying to get people of different faiths, starting with Christians and Muslims, to agree that we will build compassionate communities within our own constituency, that no one who needs care will be denied because of what they believe or who they are. And I said, man, that's a Jesus thing. You betcha I'll come. And so I'll, I'll be explaining why this is it. Who gets to go to a whole group of Muslims and talk about Jesus Christ? That'd be me. Man, I am so there. This is the ethic of Jesus. And they'll tell it from a Muslim perspective. But the point is this. And, 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 and you can come if you want. I, I don't think many probably will. But this is for, and this religious leaders will be signing. But, but the point is this. That when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor, what he was doing was he was laying the foundation, laying the foundation for the invitation into the kingdom. Because let me just say this to you. You can't talk about what you believe until people see how you love. It will have no power. You can't. And they will never get the difference between who God was in Jesus Christ, who would die for the entire world, the sins of the entire world, and not just people like himself. That's key. So I know that's gonna be unpopular. I've already getting, I'm already getting letters on this. I don't care. The point is the great commandment is the qualifier for the great commission. Now let me tell you what the great commission is. You, many of you already know this. This is Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there and therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Let me just tell you something. When Jesus Christ said this, he turned religion on its head. He turned Judaism on its head. Do you know why? Because it's predicted in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, in Micah, in other passages in the Old Testament, you don't have to go to the other nations. The nations will come to you. The nations will come to Jerusalem. All the nations will come to Jerusalem. Do you know how the church thinks right now? Well, let everybody come to us. Let everybody come to us. You know, that's the way it ought to be. Let everybody come be like us. Let everybody come live in the church world. Jesus said, cut that out. No, you go to them. You go into their world. That's how you make disciples. You live their life. You understand them. You love them, not with your agenda, but with your heart. Because I love them. And then you'll be able to invite them into a relationship with the living God. You'll be able to explain to them the whole concept of grace and how we're saved by grace through Christ, through faith in Christ, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. But first we love. And then we go and we make disciples. Disciples are the basic building block of the church. All right? And therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations and then and baptizing them. I'll give this lesson in a couple of weeks. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is about entering into a community. It's not about getting clean. You already, been, you already got clean when you were saved. It's about entering into a community. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
Again, being a Christian is not about believing the right things with your mind. It's about having your heart in God's life. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are the church. You're the church together. We're the church together. Wherever two or three of those disciples are, that's where the church is. This is what it says in the following passages. It talks about the people who went out and did this. Now, here's what I'm inviting all of you to start praying about this right now. I don't care if you're 10 years old. If you've got friends, you can build a church with other 10-year-olds. If you're 15, you can build a church with other 15-year-olds. If you're, if, no, no matter who you are, you can build a church where you're at because the church is where two or three disciples, those who are following Christ, are together. But as you do that, whenever God leads you to do that, this isn't a church program. We're not saying, okay, everybody starts on Wednesday. This is about as God gives you with the relationships you already have, the opportunity to build church where they are, around them, because they ain't coming here. You can, you can put the bumper sticker on your car, follow me to Northland. Most of the time you're not even going to Northland when, you know, they're not, they're, no. The church grows by going to all the nations. That's how it grows. And I gotta tell you, it's messy. It's messy. <laughs> well, tell me how, give me a formula. Eh, anytime you're in a relationship, no formula. The original disciples knew that. It got messy with them. It says in Acts chapter six, verse one. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Anytime you're, you're, you're doing life with other people, somebody's going to complain. Welcome to leadership, all right? Welcome to love. That's just how it is. And they're trying to figure out how to do life better, and that's how you do it. You do life better together. That's what the church is. And so a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the, in the daily serving. And they solved the problem. They solved the problem together. They solved the problem. And in any group, you'll be able to see people rise up and take responsibility to solve the problem, to care for the people in that group. That's just how it works. And then to care for the people outside the group. But people's lives will never change until you give them the opportunity to lead. Until you say, this is our problem. This isn't the professional's problem. Right now, that's how the, the, how the church is arranged. Well, let's call our minister. We pay him. You know, the church is arranged much like, uh, you've heard the definition of a professional football game. 22 well-paid guys on the field in desperate need of rest. Playing for 70,000 people in the stand in desperate need of exercise. That's the church. You know, if you're on staff at a church, man, you're, you're, you're gassing. I mean, because everybody's here. Hey, got a problem. And of course, oh yeah, okay, I'll take care. That's not how the church was ever, ever meant to be. This is our church. This, you're the minister. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. That was a doc, the Reformation doctrine. You're just as much of a minister as I am. And always will be. I have a special role. You have a special role though too. It's just as important as mine. This is how 1 Peter puts it. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. 
You also, as living stones, that's who we are, are being built up as a spiritual house. The church, this is bricks and mortar. Very important bricks and mortar, by the way. When I ask you to invest your tithes and your offerings into this church, into this body of believers, that's the best investment you can make because this, this body will continue to be a resource for hundreds of thousands of, of churches. And so we'll play our part. We'll kind of be the Jerusalem church, all right? But the point is this, this building in the church, you're the living stones. You are the building of God. You house the Holy Spirit. And all of, all of us need to realize that. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You're not doing this on your own strength. You're not doing this in your own direction. You have the power of God. We are yoked with God. Unequally yoked. Boy, are we unequally yoked. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, holy cow, you know? It's like the ox and a gnat, you know? But there, here we are. We're fellow workers with God. God will use you according to his ability, not according to yours. That's our promise. You are God's field. In other words, he's going to bring out of you the greatness that he planted in you for just such a time as this. The world's going to change. Your life is going to change as you step out. You are God's building. So let me just conclude it's important for us to understand that we're all going to go through, starting next week, a very important process of discipling and disciple-making, okay? We're going to start with this book, Becoming a Disciple. Very simple. And I'm going to be preaching a different lesson out of this book and then successive books after this so that you can hear this so that you can do these lessons in your relationships. And what this is going to do is it will grow a you as a disciple, but it will also make you a disciple maker. The basic building block of the future of the church are disciples who are, watch this, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who trusts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. His or her Lord and Savior. Christ has become our identity. Who grows in the nature of Christ. Becoming more Christ-like and who serves in the power and purpose of Christ. That's what a disciple is. And so all of us want to grow as disciples but you will never grow as fast as when you're helping someone else become a disciple. That's just how it works. That's how God designed it. That's why we do this in, in, in groups. I'll explain, the, I'll explain the process as we go along. But all of you can do this. Just follow along and, and, and I'll teach you how. And then these, these disciples will form churches. And they'll start to include people who aren't disciples. Because that's what the church ought to do. Love always includes those who aren't included. And what will eventually happen? Because of this most personal form of the church, 
is your whole life will change. You'll see yourself differently than you've ever seen yourself. You'll understand why you're still here in ways you never have. It'll be one of those, oh, so that's the reason. And the world will change. Jesus promised on this proclamation that I am Lord, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the heart that you've given us. Take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow. And apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold. And apply them to our feet that we might be doers of the word and hearer and not hearers only. I pray for every person that is gathered with us tonight online who are already pioneering the distributed church. And every person in this room that you would put in all of us a call, not just to be your disciples, but to form your church in ways that break the power of hell in this world. Amen.